0: We've got this week and then two more weeks left of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And uh, we're, we started last week, we started uh, 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 three parts that I called eschatos. The Greek word means the end. Last week we talked about what Paul had to say about death and those who are asleep and how he describes that. In 1st Thessalonians 5, um, and this is one of the passages that Paul does not, he doesn't have a parallel in 2nd Thessalonians. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul draws attention to something that he draws out of the the prophets, um, particularly out of the prophet Joel, this idea that he he uses the term the day of the Lord. And so I want to take a look there. We're in, in, again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. And writing to this church in Thessalonica, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. In other words, you don't need me to tell you what your life looks like right now. You don't need me to tell you what's going on in the world. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day that day to surprise you like a thief. You are chill, all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. I want you to, to take a moment, and I want you to uh, look at this, this passage and see the division that Paul makes between dark and light. The, the, the idea that he's, he's using, he's constantly switching back and forth. Um, and, and he's talking about two groups of people. He, ta- he says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. But then he says, he, he flips this and he, he puts a metaphor. He says, like a thief in the night. Now think about the way that he's put two opposite things together. Day and night. The day of the Lord and the thief in the night. Now if you were a Christian in the 70s, the early 80s, you lived through a particularly terrible movie called A Thief in the Night. If I remember correctly, that's the one where there's like grasshoppers. Or is that the one with the guys with the Darth Vader helmets? I can never remember. Cheesy Christian movies go a long way. It's they're great for mystery science theater 3000 if you ever want to just kind of sit and redub a movie. Anyway, there was this obsession with this idea of 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 you know Jesus is coming any day. Now it's nothing new. It was just that people had movies to be able to make. They had cameras they could make movies about it. My my grandparents, my dad's parents got married at 16 for a lot of reasons. I won't get into all the details. Um, but one of the reasons that they got married was that they were so concerned because they had heard from a preacher that jesus was coming any day now they were so concerned that if they didn't get married soon they were not going to be able to do what married people do and they were going to go right into the kingdom and so they got married at 16. Um, they were married for like ever i don't know it was like 65 years i think they were married so it was it wasn't that bad and they you know they produced my dad and so that was cool but but they were there was this there was this whole uh this whole idea and and we've all seen it happen i mean there was this moment uh, in the i think it was the 90s there was this whole series of books called the left behind books which made a lot of money and bought liberty university like three hockey stadiums so um but uh, because Jerry Jenkins donated all of his money to them, but but the um, there was like there was like this series of books, and everybody was worked up about the end times, and went there, and there was a really really kind of not awful movie made about it, and then they remade it with Nicolas Cage, and if you haven't seen this, just imagine Nicolas Cage in a Christian Rapture movie. It is high quality acting. Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage like nobody's business Anyway um, There's all of this obsession about this uh, The thief in the night and, and the mystery and all this stuff I want, you to, I want you to see what Paul is really getting at Because people will argue about the, the doctrine of end times Eschatology Put three theology professors in a room Tell them to talk about eschatology They'll have six opinions, a murder, and a lawsuit What Paul is really making a point here about is the reality of Christian awareness of the times. He is, he, it, there is a lot of theology in this. There's a lot of doctrine in it. But I want you to get this. If there is one big idea he wants you to have, it is that Christians have to have their eyes open. You've got to be awake. You've got to be sober in a world of darkness. Now, I want to break down what he he does here. So let's let's just, if we make two columns, right? So there we go. It's perfect. Um, If we make two columns, he talks about a group of people. They say, peace and security. Peace, peace, security, security. Everything's going to be great. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. And then he says, but sudden destruction will come upon them. So he immediately draws a parallel. He says, look. There is there is a a way of thinking in the world that is so oblivious to the realities of life Now I don't mean to in any way shape or form to mean or or under speak down about natural catastrophes. So so I want to put that 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 right there But when after I say that I'm you know, I'm gonna say something that people are gonna get upset about Does it surprise us at all? That every once in a while, there are huge storms that destroy cities built below sea level. Now, 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 Bob worked at the New Orleans after Katrina. He was he was there, all right. Um, and everybody was talking about everybody was talking about you know the levees and all of these things and all this stuff about about the storm. And and it's terrible that there was a loss of life and terrible terrible loss of property and all those things. But listen, when you build a city below the level of an ocean that you know has massive storms at every once in a while, why are we surprised? Uh, how many of you have ever heard of the, the, the flooding of the Mississippi Valley in 1927, I think it was, 1920, ever, ever, no one's heard of this? This is actually the reason Herbert Hoover was elected president, believe it or not, so it would have been 1925, I it did. It did. You're, that's exactly right. Um, there was a massive, massive re-flood of the Mississippi River uh, Valley. And all these people that lived in the mud bottoms, the, the section of the valley that got, over, that got flooded over, um, they, they, they were completely driven out of their homes. And the president at the time was Calvin Coolidge. Um, Calvin Coolidge, he was known as Cool Cow because he absolutely did not want to be president. He, uh, he kind of lucked into being president. It's a long story. He, I, they jokingly say that he got to the, the Oval Office, which, of course, wasn't his office at the time, pulled, a, desk cha- pulled a, a drawer out of his desk, propped his legs up, and took a nap for four years. Um, Herbert Hoover, who everybody knows from the Great Depression, if you took a history class, and the Hoover Dam, Herbert Hoover was the most successful businessman in America at the time. And he was, I believe, the Secretary of Interior. Uh, um, And uh, the the actual details of of which office he served didn't matter. But Herbert Hoover said, why don't you let me handle this? And Cool Cow went, "Mm, sure. And Hoover went and he organized camps. And he, he had like a manual for how the tents had to be set up and how food was transported. And he saved hundreds of thousands of lives he d- He did a a tremendous, tremendous job. He was an awful president, but he did he did a good job there um and and that that flood I mean did it surprise anyone that the Mississippi River flooded? It's like everybody's like, oh my gosh, national natural disaster the wa- bodies of water tend to flood. Does it still surprise us that there are earthquakes in California? I mean, I remember when the the one hit in the eighties during the World Series. Um, and it was the World Series Nationals was the was the World Series, right? Um, and Candlestick Park it was shaking during the game and everybody's like, oh, my goodness, an earthquake in California and Californians were going, yeah. It's California. Natural disasters happen. Right. And yet there are people that are so oblivious to it. They're 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 so blind to the reality that they that they're shocked and surprised that natural disasters happened. Every time I go to the grocery store when there's a snowstorm coming, what is wrong with people who have lived in New England for 50 years that they've got to get the milk and bread? It's like it's going to last like all right, you may be out of power for a week. It'll be okay. It's not like Texas. All right? Now, that came out of nowhere, the Texas thing, right? But there are people that say peace and security, and then sudden destruction hits them, and they're completely caught off guard because he says they're in darkness. They're asleep. They're drunk. And he says, and they're destined to wrath. Not that God went and goes, I'm going to get that one, and I'm going to get that one, and I'm going to get that. Not the destined to wrath, that, that mentality. But if you walk in the dark in a household full of children, you will find, am I wrong? The one Lego <laughs> laying on the floor, all right? If you're in the darkness, you are destined to have something happen to you. You are destined to run into something, you're destined to you know, you think you've got the pattern down, you you think you got it, but in the dark things are going to surprise you. When you're asleep, things happen and you don't know. When you're drunk, your perception, your your ability to see what's going on is is warped and distorted. And so when Paul is talking about these people that are, they say, oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal, nothing's going to happen. They're unaware. They're on, in, in uh, self-defense, we call it security white. So, so there are four layers of, of, of awareness of a situation. That, and this has nothing to do with this sermon, but might be useful to you. Uh, white is uh, that person who um, crosses the street while looking at their phone Without even looking up That's security white Oblivious to everything that's going on Then there's security yellow Security yellow is when you're sort of aware That things are moving around you But you're not in a defensive posture Then there's security red Which is you're aware that there are things happening around you And you are prepared to defend yourself And then there's security black You're dead You, you did not pay attention And you were gone and we talk about all kinds of things. We're talking about concealed firearms. When you get to yellow, you, you make sure you, you're, you're alert, you're aware where your firearm is. When you're at orange, you're already ready to draw. All right. Um, in hand-to-hand combat, we talk, we talk about posture and position. Um, whenever somebody starts to yell at me, which for some reason happens more often than you think it would, um, uh, particularly about my dog for some reason. I mean, he's like this tall, and I don't get why he's such a threat to people. Like, don't let that dog near me. I'm like, What is he going to do, nibble your ankles? Like if he jumps full extension, he gets this high. He can't even jump on my bed. What are you worried about? But, you know, when things like that happen, you'll notice if you ever see me talking to somebody and they start raising their voice to me, I drop into a defensive position. I start, I I move, I go from my feet being straight, I tend to drop one leg back so that I'm ready to deal with whatever I need to do. All right, that's just me. That's one of the reasons why I also don't ever put my back to the wall. Um, and it's why I don't like crowded rooms. COVID was the greatest thing in the world for me, not having to be in a crowded room with people. Um, I like space. Um, six feet, social distance. I call that just my, my bubble. Um, so so there is, there's Christians that have a sense. Now, this is contrasted with Christians who have a sense of awareness because they're in the day. The things that are hidden in the darkness are revealed. This is is one of the passages, by the way. Um, If you you ever want to just read through the Gospels, read 1 Thessalonians, read this passage of 1 Thessalonians, and then read through any of the four Gospels, and you will see that Paul is relying heavily upon the sayings of Jesus here. He is relying very heavily on Jesus saying, talking about light and John, Jesus Jesus talking about um, sudden destruction, labor pains. Um, He talks about those things. Jesus says all of those things. Paul is is relying upon Jesus here. And he says that those of us who are aware that sudden destruction can come, those of us that are aware that the day of the Lord is coming, that we are children of the light, we are children of the day, we're awake, we're clear-headed, we're sober, And he says that we're destined to obtain salvation. Now, he is not saying, again, that God sits in heaven going wrath, 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 salvation, salvation, salvation. Wrath. All right. He is not talking that way. He's saying those that are in darkness, those that are unaware, those that are not paying attention, they're destined to wrath by nature. Those that build below sea level better be ready for their house to be flooded. Those who build next to the Mississippi River better be ready. I mean, the Titanic. Why do you build a passenger boat and not put enough lifeboats on it for everybody to escape? You are unaware of the reality of the potential of sudden disaster. Christians have a sense of the moment that they live in, and that sense grows out of the belief in the scriptures. Now, this is important. The Apostle Paul can write what he writes to the people in Thessalonica. He can write to them about the day of the Lord, about being awake. He can talk about, in the previous chapter, he, or the previous section, he had talked about Jesus returning. He will, he will come. He says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He can talk about that because of two things. Number one, he believes in the scriptures and the Hebrew scriptures over and over and over again, particularly in the prophets, the prophet Isaiah, but also in Deuteronomy talks about a coming king. Um, The the prophets talk about the Messiah. They, They talk and Daniel talks about the coming of the coming prince. There are all these things that they're describing this, this person who will come and be the salvation of Israel and the world. Well, Paul believes that that's Jesus. But the issue is that Jesus, the one who came, the the prince who shall come, the the Messiah, the the coming king, all of these things, the issue is that for Paul, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was raised again, and then he ascended to heaven. And Paul says, well, if the Bible is true, and Jesus is who he says it is, then he's got to come back. He's going to come back. This is why in our statement of faith, we talk about the imminent return of Jesus to rule and to reign. He has to come back because that's what the Bible says he will do. They took Jesus's promise to be the Messiah, to be the King, to be the one who shall come. They took it seriously. And since he had left... He was going to come back. Now he had promised he would come back. The book of Acts, um, the disciples in chapter one are looking up, trying to figure out what to do, because Jesus just ascended to the heavens, and two men appear to him who are angels, and they say, "Why are you looking up? Go get about your work. He'll come back when he's ready. Be awake. Be alert." They knew that Jesus was going to go away. By the way, Jesus tells people this over and over and over again. You go through the Gospels, and you find Jesus telling all these weird parables where the king or the prince or the owner or the, the, the master or whatever keeps leaving. He keeps telling these stories like, well, there was a master who gave his servants five talents, two talents, one talent, and then left. The disciples are like, that's a weird way to tell a story. Okay. And he tells stories. It's like there was a vineyard and there was a master. He set up a husbandman to take care of the vineyard. Then he left. Like, Where wh- are we going with this? But then after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, they went, Oh! You know, well, not too bright, Peter. You know, not too bright. Um, and he says, Oh, well, if he left, he's got to come back. He told us all those stories about leaving and coming back. Oh! Like dawns on marble head. They had a deep, understanding that Christ was the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. The prophecies of the Old Testament had not been completed. Jesus had ascended, therefore he must return. And Paul says to them, so be awake. Be awake. Don't don't live like you're in the darkness. Be aware of the world that is around you. So often Christians just let life happen to them. Their faith is passive. They say, I believe in Jesus, I go to church, I read my Bible, but, but their, their, their faith is not active to deal with situations. They say, well, this is a Bible thing, this is a Jesus thing, but this is a real life thing. So i got to make sure, you know, I don't let the Bible things interfere with the Jesus, with the real things, and the real things don't interfere with the Bible things. We kind of keep it separate. Or there's questions like, well, you know, the Jesus thing, that's not really working out in this scenario. So, what if we try the, the, the real life thing? Maybe the Jesus thing needs to be refixed to, to fit with the real life thing, and then life will be better. Paul says the Jesus thing is the only thing. Be awake, be alert, be ready. me wrap this up this way in the dark you are alone you're disconnected disoriented you ever been in a situation where the lights just suddenly went out you were sitting in the family room or something um, you were watching tv howling windstorm the lights go out and you don't have a generator If you want to make sure that you never lose power at your house, by the way, the secret is to buy a generator. As soon as you do, you'll never lose power again. Um, But, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting there, and suddenly the lights go out, and it is pitch dark. What's the first thing you do? Flashlight. You have a flashlight at your dinner table. You are better than me, right? Now, today, the first thing everybody does is whip out their phone and make sure they still have a connection. So they can tell everybody they got power that's one of my favorite things by the way of Eversource and PSNH no knock on Peter because he's not involved in their IT um, they the first thing they tell you when you lose power is to go on your phone and check if there's an outage in your area <laughs> now now that may make sense if you're like in New York City or any, but you guys know how much cell coverage we have in most of Merrimack I had that happen one time with a storm I was literally I had one leg up on a window I had my phone out. Don't lean on that. Uh, I had my phone. I had my phone out the window, like so I could get one bar, so I could check the PSNH website to see if there was an outage in my house. Right? Um, you know, as soon as it's dark, now we say the first thing we do, check your phone. But the first thing you do, realistically, if you're in a situation and suddenly you're in the dark, is you check where everybody else is. Are you okay? If, if your kids are upstairs playing in their rooms and the, the lights go out, hopefully, hopefully, your first concern is getting to where those kids are. Because children in the dark can do all kinds of interesting things. <laughs> you know, they scream. <laughs> like, I am going to find them. Um, but we, we, we want to find everybody that's around us. You ever been in the pitch dark completely by yourself? How unnerving that is, that moment? Here's a great example. This it's not pitch dark, but it's very similar. You ever been driving through a terrible rainstorm by yourself? When you can't see three feet in front of you, and you're on the highway, and everybody was going 70 miles an hour, and suddenly the rain started, and then there was nobody to see. How terrifying is that moment? In the dark, you are alone. You're disconnected. You cannot see. But in the day, in the day, when you live in the light, you can see the people around you. You can draw strength from those who are around you. When you're going through a difficult situation, you can find faith and hope in those that are going through it with you. You're walking together. You're children of the light. You're awake. You're sober-minded, and Paul says, "So encourage one another, and build one another up, just as you are doing." He says, "It doesn't matter," and I, and I tell you this: It doesn't matter if you can calculate the day that Jesus is going to show up. If you do calculate the date of Jesus's return, I can virtually guarantee you will be wrong. It doesn't matter whether we do all that complicated prophetic things and move it around. What's important is that we encourage each other that Jesus is coming back. Whatever is going on right now, it is a matter for the darkness. Those in the darkness are going through. We are the followers of Christ. We live in the light. We have his word to guide us into the kingdom come. We, We have one another to encourage us when we stumble and struggle. We are not alone. Because the Holy Spirit has brought us together. We can encourage one another. We can stay vigilant for one another. We are aware of our surroundings because we're in the daylight. Because we can see and because we can walk and because we can go, it won't surprise us. It doesn't surprise us that those in the darkness do things that people in the darkness do. And it doesn't surprise us when the Lord of light does what the Lord of lights does. And we can celebrate what he's doing in the day. So we can choose, as followers of Christ, who should live in the light, we can choose whether we will be in the darkness of our own making by being drunken and asleep, comfortable. Or we can choose the divine... Uh, the divine hope that is born in the daylight when we walk together and are encouraged in Christ. But we as the church, we are children of the light. We are called to walk together waiting for the Lord. Do you join me in a word of prayer? Father, as we are continuing our worship that extends beyond the back doors, takes us out into a world that is full of plenty of darkness, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in us. Lord, help us to be encouragements to one another. Help us to be children of the light, to be awake and alert and aware. Excuse me. To be inquiring of the salvation that you are, uh, working, Lord, to be drawing others out of the darkness and into the presence of the sun. Lord, in all these things, while we wait for you, Lord, may you be glorified in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name.